I'm pleased to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning. His name is Dr. Peter W. Tegg. He is the president of Lancaster Bible College. Dr. Tegg is a native of Iowa, earned his Bachelor of Science in Business and Administration and Psychology from Sterling College, a Master of Arts in Christian Education from Luther Rice Seminary, and Doctor of Education from Nova Southeastern University. Dr. Tegg assumed his duties as president of Lancaster Bible College on July 1, 1999. He served on the board of trustees for nine years before joining the administrative team as dean of undergraduate education. Prior to his appointment as dean in 1998, Dr. Tegg spent 23 years at Christian School of York as director of development from 1975 to 1979 and as superintendent from 1979 to 1998. Dr. Tegg has been a contributing editor to Manual for Christian School Administrators published by ACSI, Handbook for Christian uh, Living published by Thomas Nelson Publications, and contributing author for Call to Lead, Understanding to Fulfilling Your Role as an Educational Leader, published by ACSI, and has been an instructor of eight different colleges. Now, while this stat sheet is impressive, what is exceedingly more impressive, uh, I think, is his obvious love for the church, for his family, for Jesus Christ. He and his wife, Paulette, live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and have four children and six grandchildren. While he has an obvious passion for Christian education, you're going to see a pastor's heart displayed this morning. And so, uh, Colonial, let's give our friend from the north of Big Carolina a welcome. Thank you. Would you like a summary of what he just said? I'll give it to you. I'm a miserable sinner saved by grace. Will that work? <laughs> Thank you for the warm welcome this weekend. We got on a plane from Philadelphia yesterday, and it was 107. So we flew south to carry to get cool, and we got off the plane, and it was 100 degrees. And uh, you've been a great group of people. I bring you f- uh, greetings from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the oldest inland city in America, the home of the Amish, the Mennonite, and the home of Lancaster Bible College. Lancaster Bible College has been training young people for 78 years. We are the third largest independent accredited Bible college in the United States. We have the marvelous privilege and opportunity to teach the truth of the Word of God to a whole generation of young people, to equip them to go and make an impact for God and society. And we are so thankful for the blessing of God on Lancaster Bible College and I am delighted to be here today. I really am. I told your pastor that this is Pastor Appreciation Day. When I'm done speaking, oh, will you appreciate your pastor. (laughs) Pastor Appreciation Day. It happened in Washington, D.C., very close to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, The year was 2007, and the Washington Post thought that they would do an experiment. 
And sure enough, one very early morning in Washington, D.C., at the downtown metro station, they planted world-famous violinist Joshua Bell incognito as passengers were getting on the metro. You see, just the evening before, Joshua Bell had filled a concert hall in Boston, Massachusetts. It was a sellout crowd. It was $100 a ticket if you could get in. And here he was that morning, incognito in Washington, D.C., playing a Stradivarius violin worth $3.5 million and made in 1713. The article went on to say that that Wednesday morning, Joshua Bell collected exactly $32.17 from the few passerbys who stopped. Most of the 1,000 commuters that morning never even slowed down, much less picked up their head to listen to what was going on. He was hidden in plain sight. I have had the privilege of walking with God for close to 60 years. I'm a PK. In my day, that used to mean a preacher's kid. Now it means a promise keeper. But I'm both. I was raised in a strong home. The Word of God was very, very central. And for almost 60 years, I've devoured this book. I've looked at... uh, Every book, every chapter, every morning I have a time in this book. God has given me the gift of early morning insomnia, which means I'm getting up in the morning about the same time my students are going to bed. And when I read that experiment by the Washington Post, it got me thinking about my time in the Word of God. Many times, those of us who've journeyed in the Scriptures for a long time, just rush through. I'm not saying we don't read it, but we rush through it saying, well, I've read that before, I understand it, and we move on. Many times I have discovered in my life that I don't stop and discover the wealth of God-glorifying, grace-magnifying, life-transforming truth that we see in the Word of God. And I have had to slow down I have had to ponder, and now I don't get away from my quiet time without begging the Spirit of God to reveal to me the implications of what I have just read and how that message could be for me on that particular day for what I 
am going to face. So I'd like to take that admonition, and I'd like to park on one verse. I would just like to stare at it and see if there may be some truth that you and I could use and apply to our hearts. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to the second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The very, very last verse of these two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. An easily overlooked verse. I can remember where I was in my journey when the truth of this scripture jumped out at me and got a hold of my life. Really, this is a benediction. This one verse is a blessing. And as I was preparing my heart for the privilege of standing behind this holy desk, I thought how appropriate for our time today. God has richly blessed this church. I was hearing about it last evening over dinner. And quite frankly, I got goosebumps several times when the story was told on how God has had his hand on this people for the past 25 years. This verse could well be a benediction. And oh, what God has ahead. A strategically located church in this part of the United States. Growth everywhere around us. A day and age when people's hearts are open to the gospel, perhaps like never before in church history. This verse could well serve as a blessing. Only one sentence, and I've discovered, beloved, it is the model for Christian living. Paul just about puts down his pen. Just before he rests his pen, he writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Twenty Greek words and in those twenty Greek words we have the model for Christian living. In fact, a theologian by the name of Gordon Fee from another era wrote this about this verse. In many ways, the most profound theological moment in the Pauline epistles is found in this verse. You hear what he wrote? Of all that Paul wrote, perhaps it could best be summarized in this benediction, in this blessing. Let me give you just a quick historical context to where we find this verse. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth that was 
53 to 56 A.D. Paul was writing to a group of self-absorbed sinners. I don't think anybody should be called dysfunctional. Really, we are all mysteries waiting to be discovered. And when we go through life with that as our goal, we get along with people and we can be so much more winsome in sharing the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. But I'll put a positive on it today and say that this was a group of self-absorbed sinners. They had drifted that quickly from the centrality of the cross. They were fighting among themselves over the pettiest of procedures. In fact, probably they were breaking off into four different groups. They were sexually promiscuous. They were coming to the Lord's table intoxicated. And Paul literally wrote to this group of believers and said, You know, I really think you would be better off if you didn't come together. What a sad state of affairs. And the entire Second Corinthians book is probably one of the most emotionally draining books you can read in one setting. I don't know if you've ever read 2 Corinthians from start to finish without uh, leaving it. But you will leave that in a very drained way. These people, may I say, had the audacity to question the credentials of Paul. They were always nipping at his heels. They were impugning his motives. They were saying, what right have you to write to us and tell us how to live our lives? Those of us who are leaders in the congregation know what it's like to be a leader when there is a faction of people always nipping at our heels. So Paul had his hand full in writing to them. And Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 a warning, a wish, three hopes, and a blessing. The warning was this, I'm coming, I'm coming again, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to look you in the eye. You better face up to this and get it resolved. His wish for these people was to just do the right thing. How many of us in leadership today can relate to that wish? If only people who know better would do the right thing. His three hopes that they would go on to maturity to perfection, that they would listen to his exhortation, that they would, for heaven's sakes, live in harmony and live in peace. 
And then he closes with this benediction. Then he closes with this blessing. Oh, what a marvelous, spirit-inspired man Paul was. If this had been me, I probably would have clobbered them over the head in my writing to them every way I could have. I would have taken so many literary punches to these folks, their head would be spinning. Not Paul. Paul references each member of the Godhead in this one verse. And if there's one thought that sticks out in my way of thinking from this verse, it's this. The character and work of the triune God define and inform the heart of each follower of Christ. May I say that again? The character and work of the triune God define and inform the heart of each follower of Christ. Beloved, this succinct verse is the model upon which we live our lives. Let's get very practical. We are going to leave this place of worship. We're going to go to work. We're going to go to our office. We're going to go to school. We're going to go to college. We're going to go to summer camp. We're going to continue our relationships in our family and our friends. Our thinking, our being, our doing, Paul says, should be shaped and transformed by the grace of the Son, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. These were self-absorbed sinners. May God deliver us from a small view of God and an over-inflated view of ourselves. Grace, Paul says, grace drives out all this self-seeking attention that you babies want. He says, love drives out anger and jealousy. I'm sure... There are many of you here today who have license to be angry. Life has not gone quite the way you had planned it. Thirty years ago into our marriage was born our brain-damaged daughter. My wife, Paulette, and I were not expecting anything other than our third daughter being normal like our first two. There are four reasons given for brain damage. The fourth reason is reason unknown. That was the diagnosis for my daughter. On that last day of testing in Johns Hopkins University, we were told that we should medicate and institutionalize our little Jessica. We drove home 
that day. And we transformed our shock, our disappointment, our would-be anger into how, God, can you be glorified through the life of our precious little brain-damaged daughter, Jessica. And 13 years ago, my wife Paulette and I, under the Lordship of Christ, founded a nonprofit, Christ centered, faith based organization named after our daughter. And today we have a fantastic ministry ministering to adults with disabilities. Paul is saying to these folks yes, you have reason for anger, but for heaven's sakes, focus on God's grace. God's love. And finally, he says, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will drive out all quarreling and all of these factions. Let's look for a few moments, first of all, at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where Paul starts. The grace of Jesus Christ. Paul did not start on the strength of his personality. If Paul were to walk in here today, he would come in like a light bulb. Paul had a presence. He had a bearing. He had a personality. Paul had a sterling education. He had an Ivy League education. Paul had a tremendous family upbringing. Paul had all kinds of ministry experience. And Paul could have brought any one of those four up into their face. And what does he do? He reminds them that his life is rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. He said there's no other foundation of faith and obedience other than it begin with the grace of of Jesus Christ. Some of you have noticed by now that in this verse that we're staring at, the Trinity is out of order. He does not begin with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is not his intent to talk about the relationship the three members of the Trinity have within the Trinity. Paul is starting here with the grace of Christ because he is describing his chronological experience of coming to the triune God. Paul is saying all of the mercy and all of the grace, all of the blessing derives from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It all goes back his grace. Paul wants to keep these folks Christ-centered. He wants to consistently remind the Corinthians of the content and the centrality of the gospel. Grace! Where would we be today without God? 
I wouldn't want my life placed on this screen today for you to see. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Beloved, I come among you as a no one apart from God's grace to remind you of his extravagant grace in our lives. And because of his extravagant grace in our lives, we can express his extravagant glory to those people we come in contact with this very week. Paul begins by reminding this difficult group of believers of God's grace. And then he goes to the love of God. Oh, that you not only will experience the grace of Christ, but you will experience the love of God. Beloved, God's love is specific. God's love is wide. Whatever you're facing today, God's love is personal. I've discovered that God is not a passive God. God is a passionate God. He loves us extravagantly. My wife Paulette and I in March had the privilege of going to China. It's the fourth opportunity my wife and I have had over there. I had the privilege of lecturing in four secular universities, training faculty members. Can you believe that? Communist China. I will never forget what Peter Chow, the executive director of the Cyprus Leadership Institute, said to me after I had spoken at his workshop. He said to me, looked me in the eye through an interpreter and said, I expect that China will become a Christianized nation in my lifetime. Did you hear that? Communist China, 1.5 billion people. And we have this expansive love of God that Paul is reminding us of today. We're not to be caught in the pettiness of sin. We're to lift our eyes and see the love of God expressed in the person and work of his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like I go into my office every day undressed until I discipline my mind to turn on the theater and to get a fresh glimpse of the cross every day. With great respect in my heart, I say to you today, when was the last time You've been to the cross. 
a fresh glimpse of the cross with our Savior hanging spread eagle will give us a totally different perspective on life and what is important in life. The question is today, how can we be convinced of God's love for us? J.I. Packer wrote the book, Knowing God. I have probably given Knowing God out to hundreds of students over the years. There's three books I give out, and that's one of them. And J.I. Packer writes this. He said, The New Testament gives us two yardsticks for measuring God's love. The first is the cross, and the second is the gift of sonship. His atoning work on the cross. And then the adoption of God by each, for each, blood-bought child of God. My word! We've been placed in the family of God. We're sons. We're daughters, we're heirs. All of the inheritance is ours. Someday, someday we're going to stand clothed in the righteousness of God. And he's going to see us not with our sin and with our junk. (laughs) We're going to be clothed in the righteousness of God. You can feel Paul's passion for these people. Why are you being so petty and divisive when you can bask in the love of God? Finally, and that's the favorite word in my classes at Lancaster Bible College, my students get up and applaud when I say the word and finally and mean it. He talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for your pastor who understands and exposits the Word of God properly. There's so much confusion today on the Holy Spirit. Paul is reminding these people that we not only are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God, there's a presence in our life. The Spirit of God. But I think he reminds us that the Spirit of God participates in the work that God the Father has for us to accomplish in life today. Have you ever done an awareness check in your life about how you are consciously aware? of the presence of the Spirit of God in your life and how he wants to participate in the work that God the Father has for us. It's a fascinating way to live our lives. Paul refers to this as the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Word of God is so simple. I am such a simple-minded person. And the Word of God makes it very clear in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
enlisting the fruit of the Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, we have the gifts of the Spirit. And what a beautiful spiritual tune-up, check-up, is someday, get alone with your Bible. Go to those two passages and see how the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in your life. Go to 1 Corinthians 12 and be reminded of the gifts that you have been given. I thank God for the work of this church. I am so firm in my belief that you've got such an effective future ahead in these glorious days when we can impact people for Christ. And every time you do something in the name of the Lord and in this church, you are exercising the gift of the Spirit. Whether you call someone on the phone this week and say, I was thinking about you, I don't know why, can I help you? Take a meal, teach a class, coach, work with young people. Whatever it is, Paul is reminding us that this is the fellowship of the Spirit of God. What a wonderful privilege we have to bask in His grace and in His love and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God has given me almost 40 non-stop years of doing one of the best things any man could do with his life. And that is get up close and personal with young people, guys and gals, and be transparent and be open. Young people today are asking all of the right questions. And young people in increasing ways are getting close to old guys like me. And they are asking me the hard questions. And for a man who's lived more of life in the past than he has in the future, I have come to the strong conviction, and I wish... I wish I had come to it sooner that we only need one verse after we have become believers in Christ Jesus to use as a model for what he wants to accomplish in our life no matter where we are. And it's this verse that's a benediction and a blessing. And Paul is putting his pen on the desk Just before he does, he writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Folks, I want that to be a summation of my priority in life. Nothing else matters. Remember, 
the character and work of the triune God that defines and shapes the follower of Christ is manifest in grace and love and fellowship. I pray that this verse will continue to shape this congregation. A congregation is simply made up of people like you and me, sinners saved by grace. I pray that it will govern you. I pray that it will guide you in the glorious days ahead for this church so that increasingly in your life, people will see on display the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when they encounter you, they will encounter the love of the Father because we are consistently cultivating the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, Amen.